Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. If you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me to um, Matthew chapter 5. Thank you, Lord. Excuse me. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Matthew 6, verse 5. All right. Keep your finger there or your phone open there. So we, this is actually the last... uh, part of the series on the apostolic church. Um, I just want to say a couple things. I have a little more time. This was actually our second service, which is awesome. We had first service this morning, which went really well. And so I have a little more time with you guys. But I just want to say a couple things. Um, I, I think this is like the sixth, the sixth session. But when teaching on this, sometimes two things can happen. There can be a response where people are like, ah, that's for everyone else. That's not for me. And then there could be the other thing like, oh, well, then then I'm going to be like chief apostle. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like you have these two sides of the spectrum where someone gets full permission to just kind of go into something that maybe they're not actually called to versus the other side where people that won't actually enter into something that they are called to. And so I just want to address both of those right in the beginning. So when teaching on the apostolic, I'm not saying we're all going to be apostles, okay? But we are all apostolic. Just like not everyone is a prophet, but we're all to be prophetic. Not everyone is a pastor, but we're all to be pastoral. Um, Not everyone is a teacher. There is no teacher role, but, (laughs) but we're all called to teach. And we're not all an evangelist, but we're all to be evangelistic. And so this is the realities of the gifts. These were called the gifts of Christ to the church. And why were they called the gifts of Christ? Because these people, these men and women in the scripture, and even today that were called to hold these offices, it wasn't simply that they were functioning in a gifting, but they, their, their lives themselves became a gift to the church. Amen. And so I do believe that apostles are for today and prophets are for today, pastors and teachers and evangelists. I do think the weirdness of someone calling them an apostle because maybe in the last 50 years, everyone wanted to put it on their business card and it meant I'm better than you. You know, that's kind of was the heart, like I'm gonna climb the corporate ladder, so then let me climb the church ladder. And so we've been teaching in this series, like we come in, In leadership, especially in the church, especially as Christians, we are servant leaders. So we come in low. That's the way Jesus modeled it. That's the way the apostles did it. And I love the apostle Paul because we come in, he comes in on the scene and he wasn't one of the original 12, right? Though he was called by Jesus himself. He opens so many of his letters, you know, greetings, apostle Paul called as a bond servant by Christ Jesus himself to be an apostle usually how he's saying it, and he's establishing this thing. One, I'm called by God. Two, I'm coming in as a bondservant, a slave to Christ. I'm coming in low. And But three, yes, my life as an apostle is called to be as a gift to this church and to the community. But notice that it's not this permission to lord over, but it's a gift, meaning my life is for you to receive from. Meaning not only is my life not my own, it's the Lord's, but even as a leader, my life is not my own. A portion of it is extended to you. And that is actually an act of humility because as leaders, we don't have to do that. We could, we could do whatever we wanted with our time, but we choose to sacrifice our time. Now, I get it. Some leaders are paid to do it. But there are moments as leadership or in a volunteer position or whatever where there, it is a sacrifice of time, and that is a walk of humility to come and to be with people. Sacrifice not like I don't want to do it, but sacrifice I want to do it and I'm choosing to do it and I'm going to give up of my time to make room to disciple, to pour into. And I could easily have gone to the beach this morning because it's 96 degrees. (laughs) Praise God. Summer is on its way. Um, But at the same time, it's this posture of the gifts come for us, but even as we're functioning in these gifts, it's, it's, it's like it's Christmas morning. It's that, it's that reality. I am giving, not for me, you know? 
And but one of the one of the things, and I'll and I'll say this last thing, and then I'm going to address the other side. But when we come in, and let's use Christmas morning as an example, and I have kids, part of the joy as a parent of giving a gift to my kids is not just that they're going to have the gift, but it's watching them open it. Yeah. And part of the joy of leadership is watching the gift unravel and develop in yes. someone's life. Yes. The beauty of being spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers and actually stepping into the assignment of discipling others, which is an, an apostolic assignment to disciple others, it gets uh, or it gives us the opportunity to watch people grow. And let me tell you something. When you see someone come into your life and you start to pour into them and then seasons come and seasons go and then you start to look back on where they were and where they came from and where they are now, there is such joy that comes from that. Meaning the sacrifice is so rewarding. And the reward far outweighs the sacrifice. And it's important that we know that because in the beginning, it can feel more like a sacrifice than it feels like a reward. But when you can see it through the history and remind ourselves of those things, then we can go into like, no, I know this is going to be worth it. Um, all right. I'm not talking about that this morning. But the other side of it, the, so there's the people that say, well, this is for everyone else, but it's not for me. And uh, in Australia, in England, there's this thing called you know, tall poppy syndrome. And it's basically like whenever someone starts to come up in some sort of leadership or authority, the natural response of the people, the Australian version, is to tear, the, tear it down. In UK, they study it, and the natural response in, in, in UK and in England is you tear yourself down. Now, there's no such study in America, probably because we're one of the most confident countries in the world, <laughs> which is a gift, uh, a gift. Uh, Paul Manring said this, you know, and he spent 15 years, he's from the UK, he spent 15 years in, in the United States, and he says, one of the things I learned from the American church and the American people is I've never met a, so, so many of a people that were, they, do not, they did not have the qualifications, but they had all of the confidence. And they could come in, and he meant it as a compliment, they can come into something that they were not qualified to do and do it extremely well because they had confidence. That's kingdom. That's apostolic. But anyway, to address it in this way, we are all called to disciple. We are all called to lead to some way, shape, or form. And so that thing that comes in and says, well, that's for everyone else, not for me, that is actually the voice of the accuser. That's the voice that you say, shut up. That's not my thought. That's not my voice. It's the thing that disqualifies us. It's the same spirit that comes in and says, oh, well, you probably can't come to church today because you messed up this week. Or, uh, no, you, you can't go on that mission strip because you've been struggling in this area. And it's these things that we think that our work is what qualifies us for God to use us instead of coming in covered by the blood and coming in with a repentant heart. And so I just want to pray right from the beginning. Um, if you guys can actually just stand with me. Can you guys stand? Because I really feel like there is an impartation for us today. To, to step into this apostolic anointing as a church. And I think we have to come at it from both ends. We're coming at it in humility. You know, we're not climbing the corporate ladder. But at the same time, we're not disqualifying ourselves. It's for us. And right in the beginning, this is the last one, but I just want everyone to know this is for all of us. And not just that, but some of you will enter into positions of leadership. Maybe it's in church. Maybe it's in, in the workplace, the marketplace. Maybe it's in government. Maybe it's in education. I don't know, but it's going to happen. You're going to come into places of influence and you need this anointing. And so Father, we just thank you. We thank you for what you're doing in this house, in this city, and all across the earth. We thank you for the establishing of the kingdom. But Lord, right in the beginning, we just receive of your grace, an apostolic grace. We receive of your anointing today. We cast off everything that would disqualify us, that we're saying disqualifies us. We silence the voice of the accuser. We silence the voice that comes up on the inside that says, no, I'm not good enough. This is not for me. This is for everyone else. We silence that voice. And Lord, we also silence the voice of pride that says, I'm better than everyone else. And we come in humble, but we come in with confidence 
by your Spirit. And even now, Holy Spirit, would you come, would you breathe upon this room? Would you activate gifts that are already on the inside? Would you call ones, just as you did with Paul, a bondservant, called by Christ. Would you call ones into their destiny, into their purpose, into their season? Would you open up their ears and open up their eyes to hear and see your voice, your face, your ways? And Father, would you let a confidence, a Holy Spirit confidence come upon this room for the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming to service. We'll dismiss. <laughs> we could end. All right, you guys at Matthew 6? I'll give you another second. Thank you, Lord. So this, we've read this each time, but this is the scene. This is the disciples asking the Lord, you know, teach us to pray. And they could have asked him so many different things. They could have came up to him and they're experiencing this thing. I mean, this reality with Jesus, their whole world was rocked. I mean, everything's changed. He's breaking all the rules. He's doing things all the different way. He's this new guy on the block. He's rebuking all these leaders that were over them. You know, he's coming to the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He's turning over their tables. I mean, it's intense. And then he comes into Matthew, um, Matthew 6, and he's coming, coming to them, and he's gets this response, or excuse me, they're coming to him, and they're saying, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he says, okay, so this is what we're going to do. When you, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the different ones, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and the street corners. So don't be like this. Don't be haughty. Don't be proud. But when you pray, this is in verse 6, you go into your room, and you shut the door, and you pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Uh, we do a class on Wednesdays called The Secrets of the Secret Place. And we're going through, it's coming out of this verse. But anyway, uh, so when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For many think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So in this matter, therefore, pray. Pause. And so he's painting a picture. Like you, basically the model of prayer that you've been modeled, we're not doing that anymore. They're, these guys, they're praying because they want to be heard. You pray, you go into the secret place. And the Father is in the secret place. And one of the things I love that Jesus is revealing, and he's about to show them a prayer as well, he's showing them how to get to the Father. That's the thing he's showing them here. He's not just teaching them how to pray to do a prayer, to do a structure thing. He's teaching them relationship. When you pray, you go to the Father. Where is the Father? How do I access him in, in heaven? He says, he's in the secret place. Meaning the moment you close the door, you may not have this heavenly encounter. You may not have eyes open and there's Jesus standing in front of you. You may not even feel anything. You may not even hear anything in the beginning. But you can know scripturally that the, the moment you set your heart to be with him in the secret place, and it's not a room, like it, though it can be. It's not an altar, though it can be. The whole point is this secret place. It's not a physical place on the earth. It's this place in your heart with you and God. And when you go to that place, and maybe it's, you're closing your eyes, maybe you are going to room and shutting the door, we know scripturally, the moment you do that, the Father's with you. Amen. Meaning he's waiting for you in the secret place. And he says, shut the door. The Father is there. And the Father who sees in secret, what else is, is he revealing? He sees in secret, meaning like he's not sneaking, but he sees you in the secret place. So when you spend time in the secret place, you see him and he sees you. It's the place of encounter. And it says, in that place, pray this way. As you see the Father, he sees you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's opening up our Father, not just my Father, our Father. So we are brothers and sisters. We have family and we have a Father meaning the kingdom is family. Our Father in heaven, we have access to the heavenly places. We just said when we go in the secret place, we, the Father is there waiting for us. Meaning that when we're with him, we're with him in the place where he is. How does that work? I don't know. But we know there's a first heaven, second heaven, third heaven. How do we get in between? I don't know. There's a subway? I don't know. 
I don't know how it works. All I know is that it does work and that he is there. And there's some reality of the heavens are overlapping each other and he is there. It's not this thing where we're going to go take a, you know, one of Elon Musk's ships and we're going to go somewhere, you know what I mean? Space and go to Mars or I don't know. But it's this whole reality that his heaven is all around us. It's all around us. It's all around us. And we have access to the Father who is in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. And even as he says this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's inviting us into this reality that he did himself. He came to establish the kingdom of his father and he invites us to do the same thing. It's the first call of, of the apostolic ministry is that the Lord invites us to do the very thing that he did. He doesn't ask us to do something he didn't do. He was the first sent one. He was the chief apostle. He was sent by the father and then he sent the 12 and then he sent the 72. And then as the father sent me, so I send you. And then the, the church history has continued and we still do it today. We are sent by the Lord to do what? To establish his kingdom. In fact, when you look at the, the last parts of the Gospels, all four Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even in the beginning of the book of Acts, when it opens up Acts or ends the four Gospels, it all end, uh, ends or opens with the Great Commission. And he's giving us this call. And we all know the Great Commission, to go into all the world, pray for the sick, cast out demons, heal the sick, uh, disciple nations. One of the, one of the, the scriptures a little bit different in each passage, but one of them says, and lo, I'm, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts adds some more things, but it's just these realities. Like this was what the early church was birthed out of. And this is what the church continues to do where we are called to fulfill the great commission. It's not yet been fulfilled. Every nation has yet, not yet been discipled, but this is the invitation that we get to enter into. And so as we kind of set the scene, I want to continue to talk specifically today about building the kingdom of God as an apostolic church. I did part one of this last time. This is part two of building the kingdom of God as an apostolic church, establishing his rule, his reign, his kingdom here on the earth. Uh, I think in previous generations, that has looked like, oh, the, the church is going to take over. We're going to take over everything. We're going to rule everything. We're going to be in charge of everything. And I don't necessarily think that is the picture. I think what it means is we are going to bring influence. We're going to bring his kingdom into everything. It may not necessarily mean that the church or the Christian will be the president of every nation or the prime minister of every nation or the CEO of every business, but we will bring influence and we will disciple in every sphere. So do you know what that means? It means all hands on deck. I've been saying this all six weeks. When you look at the church... 98.5% maybe will be in the marketplace. Will, basically, you won't get paid to come to church. 1.5% are paid ministers of the gospel somewhere, where they're maybe the pastor, a teacher, children's, church, children's uh, church worker, whatever it is, everything in between, missionary. That's like 1.5% of Christians. If all of this stuff was for 1.5% of Christians, this could take a long time. You know, we're going to need like 40 billion people on the earth in order to get those fractions right. But the reality is that's not how this works. It's 100% activated. The 1.5%, what we're going to do is actually inside these four walls and maybe a little bit outside, we're going to equip you to do the work of ministry because the real work of ministry doesn't actually happen in these four walls. Now we're doing real work here, but the real work of ministry in that regard where it's talking to equip the saints to go do the work of ministry, it's talking about and connecting to the great commission going into all the world. And the great commission is not just the great salvation. It's not simply go into all the world and get them saved. It's discipling them. And discipleship happens after salvation. So if we're discipling nations, the goal isn't just to get everyone saved. We are going to preach the gospel, but we're going to cast out their demons, we're going to heal the sick, and we're going to disciple them. We're going to grow the gift of God that's already on the inside of them, that's been lying dormant, that was awakened at the moment of their salvation, and now they don't know what to do with it. And we're going to do that in church, we're going to do that in government, we're going to do that in education, we're going to do that in family, we're going to do that in every sphere. So we need all hands on deck. 
That's every church member, every congregant, every Christian equipped, empowered, matured, and maturing to go and do the same for others. And not just in this context, but it looks like on the other side of a lunch table, it looks like a boardroom, it looks like small groups, it looks like at a coffee shop, it looks like at the park, it looks different in every sphere and every place, but it comes from the same spirit, the Holy Spirit empowering you and sending you out. And one of the things that we do as an apostolic people, we govern. And government, uh, govern, the definition is to exercise continuous sovereign authority over, especially to control and direct the making and administration of policy. That's, that's the def- definition. But good governance is, is not, it's not control in, in the sense of like manipulation or intimidation. It looks like healthy servant leadership. We've been talking about this. Tammy talked about this. But this, and again, not just for the church in the marketplace. We come in as servant leaders. We come in low. We come in with humility. And we need people who are going to go into places like the government and run for office, run for city council, run for mayor's office. We need people in education, run for the school board, superintendents, teachers, principals, who are going with the spirit, the spirit with an apostolic anointing to govern, meaning not to control, but to come in and to administrate the principles of the kingdom of God in the place that they're at. It's coming in and not just having authority, but knowing how to exercise that authority to advance the purposes of God. And when we do this, we do it in connection with the church and with apostolic leaders in our life. And so we're going in saying, okay, Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, I'm, in, I'm a teacher. I'm in my classroom. I want on earth as it is in heaven. I'm still going to use my curriculum. I'm still going to go through, but I'm going to invite heaven into what I do. And I'm going to start establishing the principles of heaven in my classroom. I'm going to establish the principles of heaven in, in my boardroom. The next thing that we do as apostolic leaders, building the kingdom of God, we need to have eyes to see leaders. We need to be able to recognize leadership. We need to be able to disciple and raise up leaders. See, we're not just called to impact right now. We're not just called to impact today. We're called to impact the future. And the only way to build legacy for the future is to raise up future leaders. Okay, and when we're recognizing leadership, we're not just calling out, we're discipling them and raising them up and then commissioning them. So it's not just, you're a leader, go. It's like, you're a leader, come. Come closer to me. I'm gonna make time for you. I'm gonna pour into you. I'm gonna disciple you. It may not look every week. It might look different. I might meet with someone every week and this person I meet with once a month and this person I meet with once every six months. Depends on my schedule, depends on the need. I don't know, but it is going to happen in some sort of tangible, on-purpose way where we're discipling. And the reason this is important, you know, if, if we don't pass on or impart things that we're carrying, that God has given to us, then we're actually limiting the power of God in our future. If I am raising up my, my son, raising up my daughter to be leaders in their household, then I need to on-purpose teach them how to do it. Because if I don't actually give them the tools, they're only just observing me and not understanding, then I'm actually not equipping them to be a parent in their own right. So there is a sense of being around that you get stuff, but there's also intentional discipling and training and, and lifting up. And it's critical that we teach, equip, and empower others. But as I said, we have to be more than instructors. We have to become spiritual fathers and mothers because as spiritual parents, we not only train people, but we launch them into their calling and their assignment. And when raising up the next generation or raising up leaders in general, the goal is not just to produce another version of yourself. We're producing Christians. We're discipling people to be Christians, which are little Christs. I don't need you to look like me. I just need you to look like Christ. So I'm recognizing the uniqueness that's on you and I'm not just producing me. This is what Paul did with Timothy. Paul, when he was leading Timothy, he said, Timothy, do um, fight the good uh, fight of faith according to the prophecies and the impartation that you received from the presbytery. 
And what we know about Paul is he was a young man that had been brought up in a, in a community where he had people prophesying and leading him and speaking into his life. And so Paul, when he comes into contact with Timothy, he didn't establish that order. That, that's what was going on. Um, in fact, he had, Timothy had received an impartation from his mother and his grandmother, which is very interesting. We don't have time to talk about that today. But woman in leadership. Okay. Amen. So Timothy is coming into the scene with Paul, and Paul doesn't just come in to produce another Paul, but Paul's basically saying, Timothy, I'm not going to lead you in the way I think you should go. I'm going to lead you in the way that you should go because of what the Lord's already spoken. And he began to learn about Timothy so that he can learn to lead Timothy. And when we are recognizing and, le- and raising up leaders, we, we, again, we can't just produce ourselves. We need to produce what is already on the inside. And what that does is if I'm just producing myself and I have a leadership team of people that just look like me, then we all have the same blind spots and we all have the same weaknesses and then we have all the same strengths and the, and the same victories. And so we can be really good over here, but we are still lacking over here. And by bringing up people around me as a leader, building up the leadership team and building up leaders that have my heart, have my vision, there is still this reality that I need people to, to as a senior leader, you need, you need the people that are serving under under you to catch your vision. And in the beginning, that looks like them laying down whatever vision they have to catch your vision. Because if they bring their vision to your vision, then you have division. And so there is this aspect of coming up under and honoring. And when you do that, it's not before long that you help to write out the vision. So it's not like your voice is being shut up. It's just you have to come up under in an honor. But I don't need you to be exactly like me. Because if you're exactly like me. I said it this morning. Uh, if I have a company and everyone of us is exactly like me, but I'm not good with tech, and then everyone else is not good with tech, then our, our company's not going to be good with tech. Like, I'm going to need a tech guy that, that's going to come up on my, on my team, on my board, and I'll have no idea what is going on there. So there's going to need to be high levels of trust, but I'm not afraid of his strength. Because I know that his strength is just going to make me stronger. And my strength is going to make him stronger. And when you have diversity of leadership, because we're not just reproducing ourselves, but we're finding the people. And I'm actually on purpose looking for people on my team to be on my team that are better than me at the places that I'm weak. Because then they cover my weakness. And then I'm not, I can't think, I tried to think of the word earlier, but I'm not stifling the growth of a whole community that I'm leading because I'm weak in something, I'm actually causing growth by bringing in people that are better than me. So it's just this thing. There's no, there's no competition. I'm not trying to tear you down. There is room. And we're bringing people together into their destiny, into their ministry. And the goal is not to, you know, again, make my ministry continue to go, but we're building the kingdom of God. And so if, if I'm coming at it with that angle, knowing, well, this is not mine anyway, this is the Lord's, and now I treasure it, I protect it, I keep it safe, and I want it to be pure, but this is mine, then I hold on to things loosely. And there's not such a tight grip as Keith was telling us about. I'll read this quote from Peter Wagner. He said, as a leader, you are not a success unless you have a successor. Leadership, success and leadership I think in the beginning looks like so many different things. For us, it might look like numbers. For us, it might look like a, a dollar amount. It might look like a house or a car. But success in leadership is that there's a legacy after us. Yes. And the only way to build something that lasts after us, one, is to build it with the Lord. Because unless, unless he builds it with us, they that labor, labor in vain. But it's also to build it with generations, which comes into the next point. And it's a similar subject. We have to align the generations. As an apostolic people, we have to look for emerging leaders and we have to honor the leaders that were before us. Yes. I think the, I think it was a great tool, but there was, there's always this example, and I'm sure so many of you heard it, like the, when raising up the next generation, there's like the passing of the baton. And there's this picture of leadership in the church, leadership in the world. As leaders come up, there's the passing of the baton. Like if you know anything about track when they're running and they're doing the, the race, and uh, I don't even know what the race is called, but relay race, thank you. You're doing the relay race, you know, a team of four people, you pass the baton, but the person that ran before you, they stop running. Or maybe there's a little bit running after, but then they stop running. 
And I always felt like that was not the best picture of generations you know, running together because that means that the one before stops running. I actually think a better picture is, is we're running side by side. We're coming up together. It's the older generation that maybe they're running a little bit slower. Maybe we've got to put them in a cart and we're pushing them. I don't know. But they're going to come with us. <laughs> they're going to come with us. They're going to get a little motorized scooter. They're like They're coming with us. Or maybe there's, they're a young babe and they're on the other side of the, the, the cart. You know what I'm saying? But like, we need generations that are coming with us. Yeah. It's this whole thing where Paul, and I think he said it, I think it's to the Ephesians, but he's saying, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Meaning, walk in a way in which there's already a high call of God on your life. Like I'm not, Paul was saying, I'm not bringing something new to you, but I'm imploring you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling. You've already been called. You're worthy of the call because Christ made you worthy of the call. And now I implore you, and that word implore actually means to come alongside. And actually, sometimes it can mean to come ahead and pull you alongside. And so it's this picture where Paul's saying, you know, depending on the season you're in, I'm going to come alongside you and run with you, or I might come ahead of you, depending on the level of anxiety in your life, and I'm going to pull you forward with me. And there's this thing of generations coming together where it's not the passing of the baton, but it's making room. And so, you know, I think the picture presently or in past seasons has been whether it's a CEO or president or of a company or a pastor. I, I like to use church examples because that's what I grew up in. Um, you know, as a, a senior leader, a senior pastor, or, or maybe leading a ministry or whatever, you know, the picture has always been, well, we're going to raise up, train up, raise up leaders, and then when I retire, then I'm, I'm going to step aside, and then someone will come in and take over. And that's fine, except for the fact that there, the, the opportunity to glean from happens most when you're leading together where I make room for you to come in and share roles, share responsibilities, share things so that we can do things together. And when you do that, actually the thing that's on my heart looks like it's being given more when we're next to each other and not when you're just coming in and then taking over. And it's this, this reality that when the emerging leader or whoever you want to call it when they never have the opportunity to occupy the same stage or role responsibly at the same time, then th there's this thing where th when the next season starts, it's almost like the church changes too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But what would it look like? And this is one of the things that I feel like the Whites and the Vincentes model really well here, where there's this room to come alongside. I'm not calling them old. They're not old. They're young. <laughs> They're young. But there's this room to come alongside and to share the space. I mean, we get to, I mean, this is just, I mean, we honor you guys for this. Like to be able to consistently be up here and teach, this is not common. This is normal, but it's not common. And I think it's going to become more common because there's this thing of, of value for succession of generational transfer, of generational blessing that looks like the making room while they're still here, yeah. Yeah. while there's still opportunity. By allowing the emerging leader to occupy the same space and have the freedom to create and change, you're often able to soften the transition. And I've seen churches and I've seen diff different ministries where there's the transition. It's not, a so it's, you know, Sometimes the, the leader dies without even having named a successor. And then the transition in the ministry is drastic and it actually hurts the ministry. And so this act of doing it is actually an act of humility. It's an act of being a servant leader because I'm choosing to make room now because I'm serving the generation that's coming 20 years from now. So that when I transition out and this person transition in, it's almost as if there wasn't even a shift because we've come up in the same heart. And it's like not this Band-Aid being ripped off and like, well, who's leading us now? It's like, no, you've, you've already known them because they were a son of the house that became a father of the house before the father of the house stopped being a father of the house or a mother of the house. This results in the emerging generation bringing advancement. There's another thing that it does is, and, and doesn't happen here, but we see it. Well, it, it does happen in churches. It does happen in places, but it also creates a safety net for uh, avoiding hostile takeovers. Yeah. 
where you have a generation that's coming in and there, there's just never room for them. So then something starts to build up because they know they're called the leader, but there's just not, there's not room for them to lead. And hear what I'm saying and, and, not, and not what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about like this spirit that comes in to, to tear down. It's just this thing where there's not the room, but there's this desire to lead. So what this does is it protects or at least creates a safety net for there not to be so much offense, not creating opportunity for offense. In that, there is not this thing like, well, I could do it better because you've given them the stage with you or you've created the room with them. And when you do that, they're not, oh, I could do that better because now they're in it. They have shared responsibility. And when you have shared responsibility and you're taking shared ownership, then there isn't, oh, I can do this better than them. Like, oh, I, I want to do this better than what I'm doing it now. Does that make sense? And so I think in the marketplace too, it takes a generation that's maybe, they're better with media. They're better with information technology. They're better with visuals. They're better with the new stuff. They're better with TikTok. They're better with, I don't know what's new out there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but they have a handle on something that's new or unique to their generation and they can bring it in to the thing that maybe you, you didn't have a finger on or a pulse on it, right? Okay, so we, we align the generations and when we do that, we leverage the strength of both generations and it strengthens the whole body together. Okay, next point. As we're building the kingdom of God, we need to come in with, and be kingdom-hearted and kingdom-minded. I mentioned before how the last, the last four uh, or the gospels all four of them at the end in Acts was the whole Great Commission we talked about already and how Jesus would never give us a task without us, without having first done it himself. But at the same time, Jesus doesn't task us or give us an assignment unless he's also giving, given us the ability to see that assignment through. When Jesus calls us to something, the grace to fulfill that assignment comes with the calling. And so kingdom-hearted, kingdom-minded. I believe, you know, I ask the question, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to fulfill the Great Commission in my life, like in my world? You know, taking it from such a zoomed out, like, yeah, we're going to disciple nations. Like, okay, well, Rich, what does it look like? You live in your, your town, your neighborhood, your block. These are, what does it look like for you in a practical way to fulfill the Great Commission to do these different things that the Lord has assigned us to do. And what is the Lord saying right now? And I believe a major emphasis on the Great Commission or in the fulfilling the Great Commission and something that he's emphasizing, at least to our church right now, is discipleship. It's coming in and raising people up. Uh, I think Jesus modeled it well. He had the 12, he had the 70 and the 72. He had different forms, different people around him, you know, raised up leaders in different ways. He had men and women that were around him. He had young and old that were around him and he was discipling and raising people up, sending them out even while he was still training them and then bringing them back. And then, you know, they had the locker room talk and they were saying, you know, these demons bow in our name. This goes in name. And he's like, yeah, you think that's great? Well, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Like it's like this whole, they, they had debrief. They did outreach and then they had debrief. You know, he was practically training them up and letting them function in the anointing that was over him. And he was, I mean, he was doing it really well. Obviously, he's Jesus. Uh, but he's modeling something for us that it, in, in a simple, simple way. I'm saying, Rich, what, what do I do? What, what does this mean for me? I think it looks like, as Jesus did, we're pouring our life into a handful of people. That's, that's all. That's it's simple. I mean, yeah, we're taking it from the Bible. We're not just taking our opinion. Maybe we're using something to help us along. But I am on purpose pouring my life into a handful of people. And I'm making time for it and I'm making room for it. And you might be like, well, Rich, I never had that modeled for me. Okay, that's fine. Well, we'll teach you how to do it. We'll do it together. But it doesn't mean that you can't do it just because you didn't have it modeled for you. You can do it because, because the Lord called you to do it the grace and the equipping to fulfill the assignment came with the call. So you have what it takes. Now we're just gonna help you learn the, the step by step, right? And we're not just 
making disciples for the sake of discipleship, but we are after transformation, transformation of lives and transformation of nations. And I believe that's what the Great Commission is all about. It's not, you know, I said this maybe two times ago, but when we say the disciple nations, nations are people. They're people groups. So this whole thing, it's about people. It's about his creation. It's, it's not about this, this country, that, this landmass, though there's parts of that too, but this great commission, it is about people. And your part of that is finding the people that you're around and giving your life, pouring out your life into them. You know, it might look like, you know, maybe you're 22, so find some 15, 16-year-olds to pour into. Maybe you're in your 40s, find some young families, young married couples to pour into. You can share them your experience. Well, it, it might look different for all of us, but we all can do something. And not can do something, we're called to do a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. All right. Building the kingdom of God. We are called to be wise master builders. As an apostolic people, we are wise master builders. 1 Corinthians 3, turn there with me. I think we're also gonna start at verse five, but I'll tell you, I see it. 1 Corinthians 3. I'm putting it up on there too. Oh, wait for them to get it. All right, I'll read it with you. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? We're gonna to go to verse 10. I planted, oh, go back. Oh, sorry. We're gonna read through verse 10. Everyone give it up for Diego. <laughs> You're doing good. <laughs> I planted, Apostle watered, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, and you are God's building. And verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. I mean, this is, it's, I want to say a couple things on this. One, when we're building, we want to make sure we're building with the Lord. It's this heart, and I, and I have to do it often. I do it all the time. Because I'm constantly building things I love to build. I love to create structure. I love to start things. Like I, it's just, I love it. It brings me joy. It's just something that I, I'm gifted in. But I can easily start to do it in my own strength based on examples and things that I've seen that have done well. And sometimes I need to slow down and just say, okay, Lord, am I actually supposed to be building this right now? Am I supposed to be doing this right now? I know this is good, but is this God right now and the second thing I do is like Lord am I actually you said to build it but I'm actually building it with you did I just receive the assignment and then go build it on my own or am I getting the assignment from you and then continuing to check in with you along the way and I've found in the seasons where I'm just maybe got the assignment and build it on my own or maybe I just built something that I thought was a good idea there it doesn't work it doesn't work. And I find myself in the thick of something, stressed out probably beyond belief, um, waking up stressed, going to sleep stressed, just because I'm thinking about this thing that this pro is just not working. And I'm like, eventually I come like, oh Lord, I didn't invite you into this at all. I, I'm not asking you for help. I'm not asking for intervention. Like I'm just doing and I'm just doing and I haven't invited him into the process. And so then I'll take the time to hit pause and be like, okay, Lord, come in, please. Come with peace first, because that's what I need right now. But Lord, come and, and just help, help me. And, and then I find ones, things that the Lord's asked me to build, and I, didn't even, I don't even want to do it. And I end up doing the thing I don't want to do, but he asked me to do it. And then usually if I didn't want to do it, I'm like, okay, well, then you got to build this. And I just find that there's peace in the building. 
there's stability in the building. We don't want to build on the sand. We want to build on the solid rock. Amen. The only way to build on the solid rock is to build it on him. And the only way to build it on him is to build it with him. Amen. And so he comes in and he says, the Lord's called me to be a wise master builder. And so we've learned this as we're doing this series, that along with the prophets, the apostles laid the biblical foundation for the church. Uh, and I think even for marketplace, we saw in the New Testament marketplace, apostles that were in the marketplace, different men and women who were tent makers, who were different things, who worked in the markets, and they, they were called apostles as well. So there's this reality in the early church that this was the foundation layers, right? And so Paul's saying that we're wise master builders, and so to be a master builder, he's saying that you need wisdom. And I think Solomon is one of one great examples of a type of apostle in the Old Testament who, who got wisdom. But what's, what I've always found fascinating in the way that, that it happened is he didn't go to the Lord and say, Lord, give me wisdom. Actually, he went to the Lord and he said, he said God, give me a hearing heart. And then the Lord gave him a hearing heart and wisdom. Now, there, there's moments to ask for wisdom, for wisdom's sake. James 1.5 tells us if we lack wisdom, ask God for wisdom. But I think the part that, that was revealed in Solomon is this ability to hear God is wisdom. This hearing heart is wisdom. Because if you can hear God, he's the one that has all the answers. He's the one that can do the impossible things. He's the one that when you have a hearing heart and he says, yeah, if you just take that staff, Elijah, and you, your, your cloak, you, you put it on the water, it'll part. He's the one that gives you courage to run at the sea in front of you and to part the sea. He's the one that when you're building with him, he can make impossible things become possible. And I think... The ability to hear from God is when you enter into that Isaiah 30, 21, where you're able to hear him in the busyness whisper, hey, Rich, this is the way, walk in it. Go this way. Or maybe when he did with Apostle Paul, who was eager to go into Asia Minor, and he said, no, don't go yet. Stay over here. And then chapters later, we would see Paul eventually get to Asia Minor. But it's this reality that he leads us. And to have this hearing heart we can hear his instruction and his, his instruction is wisdom. It's wisdom. It's not the wisdom of this world, which is foolishness, but his wisdom confounds the wise. So it's not wisdom in the way that we think it, which is just knowledge or, or even sometimes experience does bring wisdom, but it's this heavenly wisdom that I'm talking about that we need. Eyes to hear, eyes to see, and ears to hear. I got it. It was getting there. The hearing heart and the wisdom that comes from above, this heavenly wisdom is a valuable commodity in the kingdom of heaven. And we have in us Jesus Christ dwelling in our hearts. And 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us that Christ Jesus became for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Why? So that we in him can have his wisdom and have his mind and have his heart. We need wisdom to build the kingdom of God. But even before we can build high and wide, as apostolic leaders, we are called to lay the foundation. A solid foundation is a key to becoming a great builder, and we cannot be in a rush. It is wisdom to lay foundations first. It is wisdom to take the time to establish something even before we begin to build because we are called to build things with excellence. We don't want to rush into things and do, you know, half the job. We want to do the whole job, the whole thing. And why do we build with excellence? Because in Psalms 8 verse 1, it says that he, his name is excellent. So if he is excellent, then he calls us to do things with excellence. All right, last point. As we're building the kingdom of God, as we're establishing his kingdom, we as leaders, as an apostolic people, we're called to bring reformation to the world around us. And part of bringing reformation means we have to have positions and opportunities to bring influence. The Christians are the original influencers. But not in the way that we see it. Influence today 
they, they're building their own platform. But influencers in the kingdom, we're leading people somewhere and we're leading people to someone. And this does look like occupying positions with titles like CEO or president, um, but it's, the title is not the same as occupying a position of influence. Just because you have a title doesn't mean you have influence. Just because you have a position doesn't mean you have influence. Influence comes when you have something that people need and people want. And you're offering and, uh, and then you're coming to offer it to them. Influence comes when you have wisdom, when you have answers to issues, to impossibilities. Influence comes when you have trust. Influence comes through relationship. Influence comes through humility. And part of the reason, well, let me say this first before I go there. You know, the goal in career, the goal in ministry is not career success or ministry success in and of itself if we're building, if we're people that are building the kingdom of God. The goal is reformation. The goal is reform. The goal is making the kingdoms of this world look more like the kingdoms of our God. So the goal is to, it's to influence change. We don't want the world to be the same way after we've left it. We don't want our world, our place, our business to be the same way as we're there. We want to come and bring change, not in control, not in manipulation, but because we're coming with the kingdom of God, we will alter the atmosphere and the culture in which we are dwelling in, working in, living in, fellowshipping in. So the goal is not career success, it's reformation. It's did God show up? Was he pleased? Did I influence my sphere, my office, my department, my store with the love and the power of the gospel of the kingdom? But to do so, sometimes we will be in, in positions of influence, but we cannot mistake the position as the influence itself. It's the heart. It's the anointing that comes behind us. And I believe influence has two prerequisites. First, we must move in authority from God. Without God-given authority, we cannot exercise the influence necessary to bring reformation. And so we're asking the Lord, Lord, we want to act and move on the authority that you've already given us. And when I come into these different places and I come into these different situations, I'm coming from that place of authority from heaven, authority from God. And second prerequisite for influence is we must walk in Christ-like character, without which it is very difficult to have influence. If you're coming in high and haughty, if you're coming in proud, if you're coming in to lord over, it, people won't want to be influenced by you. They'll do what, they, what you say if you're in a position of influence because they have to, but not because they want to. And to be a leader that brings influence and causes people to want to do the thing that you're asking them to do means you've stepped into a place of influence in their life, yeah. of influence as a boss, as a CEO, as whatever, because you've come in low, you've come in empowering, you come in with the heart of the Lord. We need both the authority that flows from the Father and the character that flows from the Son to be in positions to influence others. And after these two prerequisites, as leaders, as people of authority, we have to walk in leadership, we have to grow in our leadership skill. Maybe it looks like reading books or, or listening to a podcast, but growing our gift of leadership. We cast vision. We work alongside people. Uh, we work with prophets. We work with the prophetic. We've talked about that. We form teams. We form small groups. We do the iron sharpens iron. We know how to raise up leaders. We know how to be kingdom-minded. We come in with respect. We come in with honor. We know how to, to get access to wealth and have access to the heavenly realities right? And one of the reasons why I left influence as, as one of the last points is because much of what we've discussed in the past six weeks contributes to how well, as a leader, as an apostolic church, that we will actually exercise our positions of influence. It's what I said in the beginning. So many people, they want to climb the corporate ladder. They, they're seeking to be in control. But in the kingdom of God, it's, it's upside down, right? It's an upside down kingdom. To be a leader is to be a servant of all. Yeah. 
To be the greatest is to be the servant of all. We're not climbing a corporate ladder to be on the top as, as an you know, apostle, prophet. They were the foundation. It meant their ceiling was the next generation's floor. It's the equipping of people to go and do, meaning as a pastor, I'm going to do some of the stuff, but you'll do way more of the signs and wonders than I'll ever do because you're actually going out into the world. You're going to see way more of the testimonies than I will ever see because I'm called to equip you, but you're called to go and do the stuff. You're going to see the miracles in the boardroom. You're going to see the miracles on the mission field. You're going to see the, the supernatural come into the, the education system. You're going to see the supernatural come when you're in, in a budget meeting in the crisis, you don't know where the money is going to come from. And all of a sudden, you're going to get a download. This is how we're going to get the funds. You're going to be in families where there's so much turmoil. There's so much division. And the Lord's going to whisper to you, this is how you bring restoration to relationship, to generations. You're going to be in places where wombs are closed up. And you're going to start to see wombs open up. You, you got to understand, what the apostolic church, we are called to go and to bring influence. And part of influence is change. Meaning the things that are dead are going to come back to life. The things that are, going to, are wrong are going to be made right. The things that are not being built for the kingdom of God are going to be turned around and start to be built for the kingdom of God. You become salt and light. Salt and light, when it's influencing or it's coming into a place, you put salt on something, it's not going to still not be salty. When you salt something, you change its flavor. When you salt, you know, they didn't have refrigerators. When they would salt the meat, they created the longevity of life. When you come as light, then the darkness can't stay. Do you understand? Like we are coming to influence, but not in today's influencer where it's all eyes on us. It's all eyes on him. And our lives becomes such that when we're living it in front of people and we're doing it with confidence and bringing it to influence, to bring reformation, what, reformation what, what's happening is they're watching us, our lives being living epistles, a living testimony, and it's pointing people to Christ. But again, not just pointing people to Christ for the sake of salvation, though that's one of the greatest miracles of all, but it's to disciple them and to raise them up and to send them out. You are leaders in your own right, in your own way. And we need every person, every Christian equipped and activated to go and to do this. If I could have the worship team coming up. You know, on the car ride here this, this morning, uh, I, it's kind of like the Lord arrested my heart. I wasn't even planning on praying, honest, just to be completely honest. I wasn't pr gonna pray on the car ride in, but all of a sudden I found myself just in intercession, because I had this, this thing hit my heart, and I believe it was the Lord, where I felt him say, I always restore. I always restore. I always restore. And so I, I started to go into this prayer, like, okay, Lord, you always restore. You always restore. You know, it's that Isaiah, the beauty for ashes, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the oil of gladness, these different things, like all this, this divine exchange. But then... He brought me, I was driving, so I wasn't actually open my Bible, but he bought, brought me to John 6 and this reality where he, you know, this is where he says, eat my blood or eat, drink my blood, eat my flesh. Like he just gives this hard thing to offend the mind. And he even knew, it says that he knew in his mind, that this, the disciples, that they were offended in their heart and their mind as well. And he looked at them and he said, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter responds and he says, where am I going to go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe that you are the Christ. And a couple of things that, that highlighted to me is this phrase, where am I going to go? And we have come to believe. And the Lord just reminded me on the car ride you know, we're talking about the apostolic, we're talking about these things, and it can seem so big and lofty. But on this way in to the city this morning, he kept just telling me, you can turn to me. And I started to pray like, Lord, I'm not going anywhere. I have nowhere else to turn. I'm turning to you. You're the one who I'm going to turn to. 
I'm going to trust you. And I start going through the different areas of my life where I've, I've been struggling to trust. And this was the other thing we have come to believe. You know, for them, it was they were believing he was the Christ, but it, it, it goes more, there's more to this belief. It's I believe, period. Jesus, I believe. Whatever he's saying, I believe. I believe. If it's provision, financial things that we're wrestling through, I believe, Lord, what you said. If it's salvation, family, I believe, Lord, what you said. And I started to wrestle through, like, Lord, strip me of all unbelief, all doubt, everything that would come to keep me from you. And I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm 33 years old. I grew up in church. I, I can pinpoint different seasons in my life. Like this is maybe where, you know, I don't have like a official a salvation experience where I said the prayer, you know, because I grew up and I'm sure I said the prayer many times. And I've had moments where I counted the Lord for the first time and etc. But what I've come to learn is that every time that I turn to Him, He's there. It's the verse we read, secret place. Father is there in the secret. Every time I turn to him, he's there. And I felt today to do some declarations over us. I'm gonna figure out a way to get this to you guys too. There's 25 of them, but we're not gonna do all 25. We're not gonna do all 25. Why don't you guys stand with me? Sometimes, like I was doing on the car ride in, we just needed to start declaring things over us, over ourselves, over our situation. And these are apostolic decrees. And why are they apostolic? Because it's not so fancy. It's just these are realities of heaven. That's all. These are things that will empower us and will institute change in our lives. So if you want to just be in a posture of receiving, I want to declare maybe five or six of these. In Philippians 4, we see this reality that we will thrive no matter what happens. You are adaptable. When something comes into your life that seems to be a stumble or a, a detour, the Lord declares over you, no, you are adaptable. You have what it takes. You will thrive no matter what happens. I'm going to do these declarations as if I'm declaring it over myself and you guys just declare it over yourself as well. You don't have to do the, you know, the repeat thing, but just pray it in your heart or say it out loud. I believe the future will be better than the present and I have the power to help make it so. I have hope and I'm a person of hope and I'm filled with hope. And I just declare over you, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even if the worst happens, you will be okay. Even if the thing that you define would be, if this would be the worst thing that happens, even if that happens, you will be okay. You will make it. And you not only will make it, you will thrive no matter what happens. You are not who your past says you are. You are who God says you are. And so Lord, open up the ears to hear again who you say that we are. You give us identity, Lord. You will not withdraw your heart from people who disappoint you or who you've heard negative information about. You will stay relational. You will not become isolated. You will stay relational. You will have trust. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have boundaries, but you're not going to build walls. You have forward movement. Your forward movement in life causes Red Seas to part. You are brave and courageous, and you can run right at your Goliaths. Two more. I will not wait for perfection to celebrate myself and be joyful. I will value the process. I'll give two, 
one extra. I radically encourage others daily. And last one. Because I honor God's spiritual laws, I will increase in favor, in finance, in health, in happiness. I will increase in the kingdom of God. Father, I just pray for this room right now. Lord, we thank you for the apostolic anointing that's in this house, that's in this people. <laughs> I just see the line of the tribe of Judah coming and breathing on some of you guys today. You know that scene from Narnia where the lion comes into the witch's temple and everything was hard as stone and he comes and he breathes and then the stone cracks up when they come back to life. I see him breathing on hearts of stone and they're coming back to life. I see him breathing on dreams that you have given up on. He's breathing new life. I see him breathing on you today. And Father, I thank you for the grace of God coming over this room to do what you've called us to do. To say yes. To say yes to you. To say yes to these assignments that you've given us. To build your kingdom. And Lord, we, we say again, nothing will keep us. Your blood qualifies us. Your broken body and your, bro and your blood that was shed qualifies us for the task at hand. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.